0: Jordan, you ready?
1: This is crazy. This is absolutely insane. Such at a loss for words. I mean, I'll find them, don't worry.
0: Do you like playing against adversity? Man, I just like playing, period. I'm just shocked, and I'm so proud of our guys, man. Unbelievable.
2: Putting the crest on every single time means something to me. This is Ernie Stewart, and you're listening to the U.S. Soccer Podcast.
0: Jordan, we're back for another week of the U.S. Soccer Podcast. How excited are you for NWSL kicking off, being the first major professional sports league in North America to get going again?
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's right because we're bringing in to this podcast not only a former U.S. Women's National Team player, but a current NWSL, MLS, USL broadcaster, Lori Lindsay. So we're going to talk to Lori about NWSL kicking off, but this is exciting, right? The, the Challenge Cup kicks off this Saturday, June 27th in Utah, making it the first professional domestic sports league returning to action in the United States. I just... Charlie, I am like counting down the minutes to the game.
0: I'm so pumped. I cannot wait to watch these games. But Jordan, where can I watch them?
1: Okay, so there's going to be eight match days in the preliminary round before the knockout stage begins in the middle of July. So games will be broadcast on CBS. The first game uh, on June 27th at 1230 Eastern time is on CBS at 1230 Eastern time, which is really excited. And then CBS All Access, the kickoff on Saturday will be between the defending champions, the North Carolina Courage and the Portland Thorns. This is a matchup that I think everybody's anticipating. So we're going to dive deeper with Lori and the teams, the players to watch, all that exciting stuff, but uh, a lot to look forward to for NWSL happening uh, just starting tomorrow.
0: You're right, Jordan. While NWSL is kicking off stateside, we have been very fortunate to have some of our U.S. men's national team players doing their business over in Europe. We're heading into the final weekend of the Bundesliga and they're still plenty to play for Tyler Adams and RB Leipzig look to lock in their spot in next season's champions league. While Josh Sargent and Werder Bremen look to stave off relegation. We did see last week, Gio Reyna got his first start for Borussia Dortmund finally. And he's been nicknamed the American dream. I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? So Erling Haaland his teammate who was also, lit up the Bundesliga this year um, has, has already dubbed him the American dream. And he picked up an assist in their 2-0 win uh, while Chris Richards, who's only 20 years old, made his first team debut for Bundesliga champions, Bayern Munich. The defender um, is, has got all this potential. I'm so excited because we always talk about the attacking players, how much fun they are, the dynamic, the speed, the goals, the assists, yada, yada. I am an, I am an attacking player. So of course yeah. I love, I love that. But, <laughs> When you talk about young defenders who are getting experience and who, who can be you know, the anchors for, for years to come, Chris Richards has that potential. So I'm really excited about seeing where he can go. And speaking of big moments, the Premier League is back, and so is Christian Pulisic in his first Premier League action since January, January 1st and on just his fifth touch of the game. After coming on in the 55th minute, my man Christian Pulisic squared the equalizer for Chelsea and spurred the comeback in a 2-1 win over Aston Villa. So Jordan, Ooh. the the guy, the young the young boys, the y- the lads are doing yeah. it big over overseas. So I'm I'm excited.
1: They really are, and you talk in detail about that goal, but I'm still thinking about the assist from Gio Reyna. Oh, it's just like the softest touch, wasn't it? It was so nice. It,
0: it, you know, Gio Reyna really impressed me. I go back two years ago. I, I meet him for the first time, obviously his father's an icon, Claudio Reina, one of the best midfielders in, in U S soccer history. I meet Gio. He's a young kid. You know, he, he's, he's playing in this game as well. Steve Nash showdown. And I was so impressed with his composure because he, he was 17 years old and he he looked like he was 28. You know, he, he just had that about him and he was so positive and friendly and, um, He's got a great head on his shoulders, and I really do think he's got, a, obviously, the potential, the sky's the limit with this kid, but he's off to a great start.
1: There is so much to watch, right? Not only in Europe, now with NWSL starting back here this weekend and the return of MLS on July 8th, we are just chomping at the bit we're ready for all of this soccer and we're also ready to bring on our guest today so Charlie without further ado here she is Lori Lindsay how are you Lore?
2: good um and even better now that I'm joining you two on this podcast so thanks for having me
1: yeah, we have been anticipating this day. We're excited to chat with you about a lot of different things, Um, a lot to do t- with tomorrow. But I think before we get talking about the Challenge Cup and uh, what you're doing right now in your broadcasting career, we want to talk and start with what's going on right now um, in the world. And to start off with, we wanna talk about Pride. It's June, it's Pride Month. And uh, Pride is a little bit different this year, but with COVID and some important protests going on with racism happening simultaneously, how has that kind of changed what has, is being talked about here during Pride Month?
2: Well, I mean, I think a lot, a lot has changed. I mean, the world has changed um, significantly um, in the past month. Um, for much better. Right. And we're starting to have conversations. I think when it comes to pride, um, obviously we're not seeing the parades that you typically see. Um, A lot of it's being done virtually and there's, there's just more conversation. I think one thing that I've really enjoyed is um, the term intersectionality. I mean, there's a lot more talk about, um, and and a lot of people aren't familiar with that term, but um, there's a lot more talk about, um, again, what the term is intersectionality in terms of like race and um pride and how those all intersect and so that has really been um an eye-opening thing for me in terms of how that looks i mean in terms of soccer we seem to be very comfortable to talk about pride there's been a lot of um we've had pride flags on numbers for a long time and but then, how does race intersect with that? And Taylor Smith, who plays in the NWSL, she's been pretty outspoken about that, being a black woman who is also gay. Um, and um, a lot of teammates being more comfortable with talking about sexuality than race. And so I have been really um, just kind of paying attention to those conversations and how those all come together. So,
0: Lori, I've had the opportunity to walk in two Pride parades, and it's unbelievable i love it it's so much fun uh, it's about bringing everyone together the unity what's your favorite thing about this month-long celebration
2: i mean i think what you what you're saying is bringing people together right i mean there's a still obviously in the whole scheme of things i mean even if we take men's soccer right not um like in robbie rogers and was one of the first out gay men soccer players. And so there's not a lot of, there's still fear around people coming out. And so to have pride month and people to feel accepted and to be celebrated is, um, is unbelievable. And to be also, again, I think what we're seeing in today is the importance of having tough conversations. And that's what pride month has always been about is to understand history, where, how it started, um, where, uh, how far we've come, who mm-hmm. have been the um, people behind the movement, and what that looks like today. And I think it always offers up um, an ability to have those conversations and, and, again, celebrate and bring people together. It's always an
1: yeah.
2: um, exciting time.
1: And for... Most people, right? This is a great month long celebration, but really it should be things that should be celebrated all year long. Or there's organizations that you can uh, help out with or continue to bring spotlight to. Uh, what organizations would you like to bring attention to that people can continue this celebration or continue to uh, have these conversations or learn about uh, Pride throughout the entirety of the year? Which ones are the closest to you?
2: Well, I mean, Um, You Can Play Project has done wonderful stuff. Um, I've been an ambassador for Athlete Ally for a long time, which is an organization to combat homophobia and transphobia within and beyond sport. And so I think if you're looking at those two in particular, there's a lot of education pieces to um, highlight in terms of sport and what that looks like to the ability to bring education to coaches, the ability to just continue the conversation around um, LGBT, LGBTQIA athletes, um, non-athletes. Um, I look to the OCRA project, which is highlighting um, trans um people so there's I mean there's tons I mean you google anything and there's there's so many that can be highlighted and I think again it comes back to that aspect I was talking about um, and not just talking about there's so many intersecting pieces it's not really just about for me um, pride anymore because there's so many different elements um, that are coming together at this moment
1: Lori, did you always feel that way? And do you feel like this is kind of accumulation in this last month of that coming to light of what was the, you're gonna have to say the word again, because intersectionality, is that correct?
2: Yeah, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Do you feel like this is just highlighting that? Have you always felt that way that everything is kind of intersectioning and coming together in a way that um, is bringing light to all people?
2: I mean, of course, I would like to sit here and say like, yes, I've been so enlightened that like I um, understood how all of these pieces to come together and, you know, that would not be truthful either right but there is I mean since we're talking about this term and I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on it either but there's a really great podcast called intersectionality Kimberly Crenshaw is the one that or intersectionality matters and Kimberly Crenshaw is the one that has like dubbed this term or came up with it and so it's, it's very insightful um, at the same time um, it is something that I've been privy to for the last uh, couple years but obviously with Um, sitting back and listening and um, really listening and educating myself in different ways. This is something that's been highlighted. And it looks, you know, also about looking back on how I could have been better within sport with outside of sport, right. In terms of these conversations.
0: Lori, for you personally, being, being a gay athlete, how have you found it with the sport of soccer? have there been any challenges or have you always felt like, ah, man, I'm accepted when I play this game or have you used it as a, as an avenue to, um, you know, get rid of your stress? You know, how have you found being a gay athlete while playing uh, the sport?
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, (laughs) well, I've been so fortunate. Like, I mean, um, growing up uh, I my family's completely accepting, my mom came out as a lesbian when I was two, so there's always been this understanding, and for me to have that process of being able to kind of understand my own sexuality has, was like, there's so much more ease um, than other stories that I've heard, right, and so my privilege in that is not lost to me, but also completely grateful, and this is why I really believe that women's sport is so important in this, at this moment, I've always felt that way, but Critical in this moment, too, because for the most part, it has been such an amazing environment to be able to come out to be able to really be who I am um, in terms and be accepted in the environment and and yes, I mean that helps that i'm we're in teams right we 're in um, that I was good at soccer right there's there's so many components that have come come into to play that have allowed for that, but in terms of a sport that has been accepting. I, I've been so grateful for, for the game of soccer.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned that because that was one of the things that we wanted to talk about is just sport being a vehicle for change and the role that it can play during uh, these times that are happening right now. Uh, But when you talk about women's sports specifically, women's soccer, WNBA, they really have this reputation for being fairly accepting spaces. You know, we've been teammates before. We've, you know, I, I we've had numerous lesbian and straight teammates and I think that it has been really accepting within our locker rooms how do you think why do you think that is and how do you think other sports or leagues can follow the lead
2: well I think it's accepting because we all know that you can't win a championship without a lesbian on your team so that's out of the (laughs) I'm just joking um you know I don't you know that's a great question I think it's just been an environment where um you know, women's sport and like, ha- it. you think about it. I mean, it's like, it's been around for a long time, but team sport in general and the leagues, we've had to fight so much for equality, just as, as women, um, that I think that there has, there's just been this element that like, okay, we're in this together no matter what. And I think there's always just, there's also a, an aspect of um, plays into the, the, the stereotype though of, of butch lesbians, right? Playing sport and like uh, being able to go out there and like, that's, those are the people that came before me, right? Like when I grew up, that's who I saw. A lot of women playing sport and it just fostered my desire to be able to play sport. And so I think we've just kind of grown up and then there's always just happened to be um, lesbians that have come out on your team. But I also think it alludes to the fact that like, Sport allows us to develop who we are. And so there's confidence in terms of playing sport. Like I developed that confidence from a young age, not only from seeing my mom as a role model and coming out in Indiana in like a time and place that wasn't accepting, but also then be able to Kind of understand my sexuality and get that energy out through sports and build my confidence in other ways so then when i was comfortable to be like yes i am a lesbian i am being out and proud about that that had fostered in so many different levels through soccer and I, I i would imagine that that's the case for a lot of other athletes as well
0: well you spoke about your mom being a role model and and having other athletes to be there and, and you could look at them and say okay I'm going to be accepted and they're doing a great job of influencing me. Currently, are there enough athletes doing enough for the next generation or what can they do better?
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, I think there's always more that we can do right at a um, macro level and a micro level. I think if you like look in your own community, there's so much more that we can do. Um, And at the same time, I think personally it is, An obligation and a responsibility to use our platforms as national team pro pro athletes. I mean, I think it's a unique environment, and it could be just one person, right? It could just be uh, one um, young athlete, young person that you change the course of their life. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the answer is yes and no, and also we don't always know the impact that we are having, right? And so, as long and, and this is highlighting that too, right? Because and when I say know is that we haven't been having these tough conversations right Mm -hmm. we have and across the board and a lot of different things but especially when it comes to race we haven't been and that looks in terms of like white players to white players um stepping up for having those voices for our black teammates but also and also in terms of what it does mean to be proud and gay and as an out athlete right we we've just kind of washed over a lot of stuff so I think there's always um, room to get more uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and to educate ourselves in and really like believe and listen to people's experiences right so Mm
1: Lori, I always love talking to you because you always have (laughs) something to say, right? You have a voice and I think it's, you've cultivated that and brought that about by listening a lot and educating yourself. Um, have you felt like you've always been a person that has been able to speak your mind and stand up for what is right? Or how have you cultivated that voice over the years of, you know, being an athlete, but also just being a human being?
2: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I think uh, I am really grateful for athlete ally because when I back in, I mean, I've always lived since I understood my own sexuality, I've lived an out life, but I didn't actually come out publicly until 2012, right after the London Olympics. Um, But at that same time, I also didn't know how to use my platform. I mean, relatively, we were already for decades seeing athletes use speak out for injustices and and social justice in in different ways. But at the same time, for me personally, I was like, uh, I don't know. And AFID Ally was the first organization that really gave me a platform to be able to to speak out and speak on these issues. At the same time, I think um, really reflecting on who I am and how I've been complicit to a lot of things that are going on in the world today, um, no, I haven't spoke up enough, right, I haven't, um, there's, even in, even within my own family, within smaller communities, I think sometimes it is um, easier to speak out, and put out a big statement, right, and be like, yes, rah, 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 to, and then but then turn around and not have a difficult conversation to a small little like microaggression that you just heard in the locker room. This is very different, and so I'm just reflecting on that and um, and and how I could do more, how I could continue to do more is um, has really been eye-opening and something that like you're all we're, we all should continue to peel back the layers.
0: Lori, you, you spoke of coming out in 2012 um, officially to the public. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the process of how you went about doing that and, and the emotions you were feeling at the time and why it was 2012? If I, you felt ready, you f- it was the right moment for you.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, 2012, it was super interesting because after the 2011 Olympics, right? Um, Megan, um, Rapinoe's agent at the time, was like, hey, listen, like, Out Magazine wants to do. Um, a big spread or whatever and we were flying back from the when was it we had just lost to Japan and penalty kicks in the world cup final and we're flying back I'm like you got to do it right you got to do it this is amazing like we need role models it's our responsibility we need to speak out and I mean it was easy for me to push that because no one was asking me to do like out magazine spreads but um and and just seeing that Megan going from doing that spread before the 2012 Olympics and how she performed and you can just see like okay this is why athletes have such a desire to bring their full selves to their the game that they play is because it opens up a whole nother world for them and I mean I think that is the best um, example I can use of an athlete that like boom, just right away with like, here I am, let's go. Right. And you, we saw it in our performances, even from 2011 to th- 2012. And for me during the 2012 Olympics, uh, I, w- who is it? auto straddle is a online magazine and they were like, we want to do a, like a, a feature on you about being an out athlete. I'm like, great. This is awesome. <laughs> and so, I mean, for me, it was just like, yeah, I'm telling the story that, um, that I'd always been living right at that point in time. I it was like, goodness. I've been out and like, had more partners than I can care to like tell on here and like, <laughs> and it was just like fun and like a way to, uh, again hope that I'm making an impact in a way that it was like so important for the next generation and to like continue to push the, the the stories and to encourage other players to speak out and even come out if they weren't. Um, totally comfortable with
1: it. I think what I'm getting from that too is sometimes we gain confidence from other people being their truest selves as well, right? And you were saying that you gain confidence in how Megan approached that and how you maybe pushed her along in that as well. But then your story is encouraging other people now, you know, hearing how you approach that. What advice would you give to people who are maybe, um, on that edge of, I don't know how to come out. I don't know what to say to somebody, or how, how do you tap into what you're really feeling in order to express that to others?
2: Yeah, well, just to back up, I mean, um, Megan and I would push each other a lot. So, I mean, yes, let's go with the story that I'm like pushing her to come out. But um, as we can see, um, Meg's work speaks for itself and how she is in the world. Um, but in terms of young people, um, I think young generations who are either struggling or like just figuring out their own sexuality. I think really understanding who came before us is such an important component. Understanding the history of LGBTQIA um, and that's this simple Google, understanding the Stonewall riots. um, And and that started with um, Marsha P. Washington and Sylvia Rivera, right? Two transgender women who led that forefront of, of, the um of this movement and so understanding that because then you understand where people have come from how much they've overcome i saw that firsthand from my mom in the 80s and being able to like live that experience and those trials and tribulations that that generation came through so one that and then also is is wild as it is is there there is a community and there is such like a, I don't want to say safe space, cause that's not quite it, but there is a, there's a community that will listen, that cares about you. And that's why I think this month, even though we talk about it being 12 months always, yeah, like we should be doing away with all these months, right? We should be celebrating humanity all the time. Um, but I think that this month highlights the people that have been doing the work for a long time. It gives us a glimpse into who came before us. And that is always, it gives us a proof of context, right? It always gives us a little bit of a stepping stone to have even more of that confidence. And regardless of what the upbringing is, right, there's, there's people here to listen and and help through.
0: Lori, you're an amazing role model. I've always, um, you know, loved watching you play because I thought you, You understood the game. You could tell you were always a step ahead or two steps ahead whenever you received the ball. Um, You're a spokesperson for Athlete Ally, like you've mentioned, LGBTQ family. Um, But there are other initiatives taking place right now. You talk about Share the Mic, Black Lives Matter. Uh, You're an activist for Pride. How have your understanding and actions in both those areas evolved over the course of time?
2: Oh, I mean, greatly. Just in terms of again, education for myself and um, who I'm listening to. Right. I mean, I think that's a that's a big one um, in terms of who we're reading, who we're paying attention to. And again, I think that's why it always comes back to the understanding who's come before us is so mm-hmm. important because, quite frankly, in all of these areas that we're talking about, they've been whitewashed. Right. And so it's it's not the exact history that um, we've come to know to know on a very surface level. So to really understand who we're paying attention to, who we're listening to is, um, is critical. And I really feel that that's been the biggest evolution. But then also just realizing that, like, we're not, in, in terms of some of this, we're not going to have it all figured out, right? This is con- continuously a learning, um, lifetime of learning really going forward regardless if it's LGBTQIA movement whether it's race right whatever we're talking about um it's constantly pointing to the people who have done this work prior to us who have been doing this work yep you you get it you get <laughs> no but you get
0: it it's it's you're always learning you you've never you've never made it you know we've seen it with players throughout um our careers right where they like i'm good i know everything i need to know I don't need to do extra training or I don't need to watch video. I know what I know and that's it. No tactics are always changing. Players are changing the way they play the game. You always have to be learning and sucking up all everything you can. Like your brain just like a, like a sponge Um, Mm -hmm. and you get it. So I love, Mm -hmm. I love that about you.
2: (laughs) This is why sport is such a good metaphor for life too. Right? So it's like,
0: we're (laughs) always,
1: (laughs) yeah. Laura, you mentioned your mom being as a a role model to you in this area of your life. Uh, Who other who who are the other people that inspire you today? As just um, being what what you were saying, you know, someone who people who are continuing to uh, pave a path or set an example as to how we can live this this life that is accepting of all humanity.
2: I mean, when I think one of the exciting thing about sport is I kind of touched on it a second ago is that there's so many athletes that are like, listen, I, enough of just sticking to sport, right? This is like, I am so much more than that as a person. Um, I want to bring my full self. So I think anybody that's, you know being bold, even if they're scared, speaking out, um, and, and also not speaking out, but like, or speaking out, but also like listening and willing to make mistakes and be like, okay, I'm getting it wrong. Acknowledging that course correcting. Right. Um, but I think anytime you have the athletes that are, are really bringing their full selves to, to sport and, and being who they are is always, I'm always getting energy from that. Um, and, and also there's one in particular, uh, this woman, uh, her, she goes by Jeb, but her name's uh, Joan E. Byron. And I met her at the beginning of this year for the first time, but I followed her and she's a 70 year old woman and we're buddies now. And, um, but she was, uh, she lived in Washington DC and I can't believe I lived there for so long and then we never met. But essentially she's a photographer and she's one of the first photographers when she came out in the 60s, she was like, okay, I don't I don't see any lesbians that look like me or gay people that look like me. It was very, again, whitewash, thin, or or however it looked then, but it wasn't somebody that she could identify. So she taught herself how to um to take photos and started photographing um, lesbians, gay people. She's um huge movement throughout um, history of the LGBTQI movement and that is amazing because there's so the, the, the pictures are diverse. There's just, it really captures the moment and it does, it goes back to what I was saying. It gives you a glimpse into, into what life was like, right. And these people that came before and how kind of scary that was for them and fearful it was for them to be photographed at first because no one was doing that. But then once that happened, it was like, great. We're just highlighting photos of like lesbian and gay people, who are happy and joyful. And then we could, then we could increase the, the narrative to, Hey, actually, this is what they're doing behind the scenes. These people are powerful. We have something to say, right? Because it was like, okay, we've been able to carry this along. And for me, one other thing I'll say on that is that like, I'm like, Oh, this is a glimpse into my childhood. Cause I was experiencing that in real life. Right. But that is amazing in terms of people that di- don't have that. Right. You're right. like, Oh, here is living proof. Here are people that have lived this experience before me. It could look different. It could look, look very similar too. but okay. I have, I understand. I can conceptualize that. And I think that it in itself is, is powerful. So shout out to Jeb. She's amazing. <laughs> shout it's out. Like, Yeah. Look her up on Instagram. I mean, wherever you can. I mean, like, honestly, like I have so much love for her.
1: Lori. So one of the things that you've gotten to do during pride is to talk to Tierna Davidson, a current member of the U S women's national team and have a really candid conversation with her. When you look back on that interview and that conversation, what do you think is one of the biggest takeaways that you had from that?
2: Well, I mean, there's a lot I mean she was a it was so fun to talk with her. it was it's fun to see a young player who left college early, right that um, is already like just making an impact both on and off the field. but I think what um struck me the most was why it's so important to be visible, to understand where like as I've mentioned where we've come from our history, and to to speak your truth because she is a living proof of like Megan, right? Being out, speaking to that. Um, And it's like, regardless, yes, Tiana spoke about her um, having a family that was totally accepting living in the Bay Area, growing up in the Bay Area in a a more accepting um, environment. But at the same time, it was like being able to see the people before you speak out, living their truths, true selves and being true to themselves. um, Tierna gets the, that's, that way is paid for her essentially. Right. And so she can, that makes it easier in terms of her understanding herself. And then again, it just amplifies and continues to build and creates momentum. So that's what really stuck is how important it is to continue to have those role models.
0: Lori, by the time this podcast releases, we'll be hours away from the challenge (laughs) cup kicking off but there's big news coming out earlier this week with orlando pride withdrawing from the tournament Uh, so now it's down to eight teams you're going to be calling all but two which is phenomenal congratulations (laughs) thank you Uh, what what are you expecting in this tournament what what should we be looking forward to besides getting back on the field
2: yeah well first and foremost um you know it's it's unfortunate about Orlando. I mean, obviously in the midst of this pandemic and then a number of their players, um, testing positive for COVID, obviously first and foremost, when all of this was being talked about, it was like the health and safety of the players, the staff, everybody involved. And, um, I want, to like, you know, hopefully everyone safe gets, recovers quickly. And, but also like, um my heart goes out to them I mean there's so many players that worked hard to prepare for this and now unfortunately not gonna go um but also with that said I mean yes like soccer's back and still we want to make sure everyone's safe but like you can tell um even just being on some of the coaching calls the energy and like the excitement and also like what in the world like this is wild we've had three weeks to prepare and here we go and we want to win but also like this is an opportunity to develop players or, or not even necessarily develop, but just see some of the rookies that you haven't seen yet being thrown into these. And with the games coming back and forth so quickly, rotating players and getting a lot of players more minutes than we'd probably typically see throughout a, a regular season.
1: There are so many, phenomenal players in nwsl uh can you give us maybe some names to watch for maybe p- people that are listening to this podcast this u.s soccer podcast don't know some of these names but they should be knowing some of these names because they're they're players that could be knocking on the door of the u.s women's national team at some point
2: yeah good question um let's see some of the people i mean there's so many there are so many rookies that um came out when we called the draft, right? We have Morgan Weaver, Sophia Smith, both at Portland. I mean, Portland was aggressive in terms of their acquisitions in the off season. You have ZR King for Utah, who I'm pumped. I called a number of her games at NC State. Um, and listen, and then you have, I think what's going to be unique is you have a lot of these rookies that are coming out and how they can um, quickly adjust to the game. Because I think sometimes that's a shock on how competitive our league is. And But then you have like, you know, talking to Paul Riley and how much even he feels like Sam Mewis has grown in this offseason and um, become even more of a
0: leader, right? After playing in the 2019 uh, World Cup, big, right? Big, so, big, fan of Sam. Big exactly.
2: Fan of Sam. Uh, yes, save, right? And then you have um, Christine Nairn, who's going to be playing in her eighth, um, eighth season. All. Every season, Tori Houston for Washington Spirit, Christine Aarons for Houston Dash. But these are players that have longevity, that have the experience. And I think some of those players are going to be uh, more in Barnes, right, for Seattle. Those mm-hmm. players could be even more important because they're going to understand being a rookie. They're going to understand um, what it's not like playing on the national team, right? But mm-hmm. they're going to have the understanding of the league. And th- that experience, I think, is really going to be um valuable throughout this
0: tournament so here we go who are the the favorites
2: oh listen you got to put north carolina on the top as of right now i'm i'm ready for something big to happen but i you got to go with north carolina the fewest amount of change fewest amount of turnovers um won the last two championships i mean they've just been a powerhouse um but
0: no surprise who's your dark horse yeah give us the
2: you know, I'm I'm really curious about Ol Rain. Very Me too. curious too. I mean, there's a lot of great names on there, and I think with a new coach though, and like there's there was quite a bit of turnover. We'll see how they can adjust quickly. They would be one that I'm most curious about, and then also I'll have to put, um, you know, still Portland. They've had a, quite a bit of turnover. They've were aggressive, probably the mo- one of the most aggressive teams in the off season. But before I forget Chicago as well, I am, I think they, They. I mean, let me just list everybody. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think though with Chicago, they're the team and why they made it to the final last year is because they had those players that we talked about, which are maybe on the cusp of playing on the national team could be on the national team, but aren't quite there, but also have the experience of the league now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in this league, nine teams typically eight in this tournament that experience goes so far so and they have the most players in my opinion that are like that they're going to be missing sam kerr which is a big loss Mm -hmm. but it'll be interesting how they can like collaborate and really come together without sam so yeah yeah
1: it's going to be all about mentality all about the team that comes together
2: the quickest right yeah i'm excited
1: yeah Uh, We've seen many NWSL players and women's national team players being very outspoken on social media in support of Black Lives Matters. We've also seen signs of support in pregame or in-game in the Premier League or the Bundesliga matches with even the Premier League putting Black Lives Matters on the jerseys. Uh, Do you think that you'll see anything similar or will see anything similar here in the Challenge Cup?
2: I hope so. I mean, yes, and I hope so. I don't know what it is. Um, I know that there's been some players talk about taking a knee during the national anthem. And um, also I think collaboratively amongst the, uh, along the league, there will be, um, we'll see something from every single player and every single team. Um, but that's what you hope, right? This is This is why you want that. You want to amplify voices that haven't had the ability to speak out in the past you want to keep this conversation going it's kind of what we've been talking about throughout this podcast which is let's have these tough conversations let's continue that to be in the forefront so we we don't get comfortable again like um and and for me this is the perfect time to be able to do that and and kudos to the league and the nwsl players association coming together and really having um conversations about what that looks like and listening to one another. And kudos to CBS, who's the broadcast partner, who are like, yes, let's let's talk about this. Let's um, make sure we capture that. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of really great conversations that are taking place that is, is needed. <laughs> the silent you fist guys pump, can't
1: do you know the, the, yeah I was gonna say <laughs> you, you can't you can't do that uh, you can't <laughs> not say Charlie's giving us a fist pump there and um it's just cool too I think Lori for you and I players that have played in NWSL to see NWSL figure out a way to be the first team sport back right um, it is exciting that they have the opportunity to be a platform in this way as well
2: yeah and you know, if we're giving shout outs, Lisa Baird. And I mean, really everyone that's been involved in the league. And there's so many people that never get highlighted that are doing so much work behind the scenes. Um, but Lisa Baird, who's the new commissioner, um, came on in March. I mean, what, uh, a wild time to be coming in to help t- basically, um, run the ship of a league, right? And so I think just her leadership, her understanding of what it takes to put on a tournament like this coming from 10 years previously um, with the Olympics, but also being proactive and and then also, yes, reactive in some ways, but being able to pivot, right, quickly and make adjustments. And And honestly, that's some ways good that we have a smaller league because you are able to make those pivots quicker and these adjustments when something like the Orlando um, situation happens at the last minute.
0: Well, you asked why I was pumping my hands. It's because <laughs> we're talking about NWSL. And now we can get to talk about your career. And Jordan came up with this this interesting question, which I'm curious to know if you can do it. Um, you, you are one of only a handful of players who have played in WSA, WPS, yeah. NWSL. Can you name the others?
2: Oh, I totally can't. I totally can right. because i'm in an amazing company i'm like really grateful um Abby Wambach, Christy Rampone, uh Shannon Box, and Hope Solo. Ah, you forgot oh, one. Oh, hold on. I'll get it. I'll get it. Hold on. Um Don't hold on. don't give her any hints. Don't give me any hints. Okay, wait. Hold on. Okay. Abby Wambach. <laughs> you know I got it to the you know I got the hint from I need our it. favorite I need it. Sorry. Cooper the hint. keeper, right? Yeah, I know. I should know this too. Don't say no. I'm going to be so embarrassed. Who? Don't you do it, Jordan. Okay. Don't you Hold do. Hold on. It. I said Christy Rampone, Shannon Box, Abby Wambach,
0: Hope Solo, and to Don't her. That's you, you do, do it. it for. No, no. <laughs> Can nope. you give me the position? Give me the position. No. yes. We stumped her. Damn it.
1: I don't know if oh, Jen I'm Cooper told me Karina Leblanc
2: KK. Oh, sorry, KK. I am embarrassed. <laughs> okay, you know why? But you got because every it, other person. I was, yeah, you know, when I was you were thinking, probably thinking national team. national team players, yeah. 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 So, but KK always, Philadelphia Independence Days together. Actually, Paul Riley was our coach. Right. Talking well, about wild times. Um, but yeah, okay, lots of love to KK. Lori,
1: that, yeah. that I mean, we we have fun with that right there, but it it, it truly is Incredible, like the perseverance one must have to span over uh, two <laughs> leagues folding, two leagues folding, yeah. right? It, which is traumatic, you know. I, I was a part of one of them, and to continue your career through two of them, it's it's quite impressive. So, I we just want to say, you know, that's something you should be proud of. Where we definitely are proud of you for that. Um, Thank you. When you look back over the leagues. How do you think they've, they differed and how would you explain the difference between each league from a player's perspective?
2: I mean, I think from a a player's perspective, um, goodness, there were some, I mean, all three leagues have been good. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Charlie touched on this before is tactics are always changing. Um, the athletic ability that we've seen, uh, female athletes in terms of developing, I mean, it's, it's, Is outstanding, and and just the amount of money and that that yields to the fact that like we're seeing. I mean, still have a long way to go, but we're seeing um, other countries um, put more money into their women's programs, right? So just in general, the competitiveness competitiveness has um, expanded. But if you're talking about like soccer players in general, wow! I mean, I've I've played with the best in the world. I mean, we. Mm -hmm. I think back to the WPS and in 2009. I'm looking over to my left, and I'm playing in the midfield with Amari Sawa, Abby Wambach in front of me, um,
1: Becky Sauerbund was... behind
2: me, Aaron McLeod's in goal. We had Sonia Bompastor, right? Like, you, I mean, it was like I'm playing in an all star team. It was mm-hmm. yeah. unbelievable, right? A and world so,
1: world all star team.
2: World, yeah. yeah. And so you're still, I mean, but like the competitiveness of the league, I don't think people understand sometimes how. Yeah, we've seen North Carolina um, win the last two championships, but every game is a grind for these athletes and these players because it's just, it's so, every player is so good. I mean, we
0: could really, there's stars everywhere. You, you've always been a, a massive part of the locker room. I've, I've heard from everyone, you were like, always like the heart and soul. You're always in the middle of everything. <laughs> um, this is going to be probably a difficult um, question to answer. What was your favorite team? To be part of while you played professionally. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna
2: that is tough. I mean, because I think what's what's tough about that question is all the different teams pose different excitement or different issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um like if I look at the national team, it was like we're playing in the World Cup, you're playing in the Olympics. I mean that's what we've all worked for, right? So that alone, you're like feel so like yes about the team you're just like okay we're here let's do this Mm -hmm. right and knowing the u.s women's national mentality both on and off the
0: field and what we stand for and represent um but you're playing in one match you got one match in your prime which team are you playing with what team are you stepping on the field with
2: as wild as my time was with the philadelphia independence in 2010 we were an expansion team mm-hmm. and we were dubbed like the bad news bears of the league <laughs> because everyone was like like listen it was like myself in the expansion draft amy rodriguez right we had caroline sager who from sweden who came over i oh, mean yeah. like honestly we were just all like it was just like a m- motley crew of players that were like thrown together and um love him or love him or hate him with paul o'reilly right he will w- go to bat for his players push you to like limits that you haven't um, even known you had and we really came together unfortunately we lost in the final but that team was firing on all cylinders and working at its highest like capacity um, with the players that we had and so really kind of like an unbelievable journey in that regard
1: but we have to also mention that you got to the final because of a handball goal in the semifinal oh. against my Boston Breakers. So yeah. I mean,
0: Adams with the hand of hand of God, a little like Diego Maradona action. There. Was. Yes, yes. That would so be who, was the, who was um, the most influential coach that you had then? I would go back to
2: college, April Heinrichs and Steve Swanson, both of them. April Heinrichs, uh, my first year in college, mentally really pushed me in ways that um, I needed it at that time. And then I like was like a sponge. So I just took that stuff and ran with it. And then when she left to take over the national team, the, the full women's national team, Steve Swanson came in from Stanford and really just developed um my game on like a, a different way tactically and technically than i had been pushed um, prior to that so i'll say this though it is like such a highlight to have played in all three of these leagues and see the progression of soccer in this country and even world, world worldwide it like i am so grateful for this game and the people i've met it, the, playing on the national team playing at the world cup and olympics though are, like it is just it is, there's nothing like it. And I feel so, so honored to be able to be a part of that too. So why I say in the Philadelphia Independence, there's so many moments of like, talk about like bent over sweating and exhausted at the national team level. I've never had more, more um, moments like that. And it is why we see so many players at the pro level, but why that team is, has been so important mm-hmm and in the global game.
1: Well, I'm going to take that and just lead right into your national team career then, because I think <laughs> that is, that is a perfect segue. You played with the national team from 2005 to 2013. So a good span of time there. What I'm curious about Lori is you graduated UVA in 2001 and you didn't really start to get capped with the national team till 2005 what was that time like in between and how important was the league in fostering that bridge to to get you from college to the national team
2: well I always joke that uh, playing from 2005 to 2013 is a bit of a stretch uh, because (laughs) um, you know I sat on the bench way more and I would hold I think a USA record for a women's national team, if we we got capped for being on the bench, because I was always like, oh, I'm ready, coach. Uh, and I kept making all these teams. So I was just on the bench a lot of the time. Um, but you know, I think that's why I was able to play in in all three of these leagues is because I just had this real desire to soak as much up of the game as I could, and I had this real belief in myself in making an impact because I was the type of player that was different than what was really like celebrated um, at the pro level and even at the national team level. It was almost like a lot of coaches were kind of like, what do we do yet? You're really good. But like, what do we do with you? Because like, I wasn't going to be like sprinting past anybody. I was much more of a passer. Paul Scholes was like my favorite player growing up. And, but like, I wasn't going to be like, Tackling the crap out of players either that just wasn't my game. So it was kind of like in this like period of like uh, again we didn't know what to do with her. But I had this so much belief that when I graduated from college, that um, and that we had two more years in the WPS. So I played with San Diego Spirit and then got traded to the Washington Freedom. But I think the Washington Freedom was a real um, integral part integral part of like my development because I mm-hmm. players like Mia Hamm was. The, was there and we became like instant friends. We were ro- our roommates a lot. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's quiet and she's, but she's funny. And so, and like, there's just something about her where we just kind of got each other. In my opinion, I'd be interested if she'd be like, yeah, right. Lord. Um, but, <laughs> so, um, you're,
1: so you're saying you're funny.
2: Yeah, exactly. She thought I was funny. <laughs> right. I think I'm funny. No, I'm just- <laughs> <You> <laughs> I are thought
1: funny. she was
2: funny. Um, but like, I could tell that she had a belief in me. That, like, I remember her saying, too, like, uh, when I got called into the 2000, unfortunately, the unfortunate league had folded for the WPS, or excuse me, the WSA, sorry. Um, and then the league folded and I was called into national team residency before the 2004 Olympics. And I was cut right before the Olympics, but Mia pulling me aside and being like, hey, listen, like, if you would have played like this in 2003 in our final year of the WSA, like you're playing now, we would have won that championship game because we lost in the final. Um, and like those things and the belief in some from my teammates and stuff, really is what kept me going because there was a pretty um, big stint between the WSA and the WPS um, where a lot of players we lost a lot of players because players decided to move on. They, they were wanted to decide to go a different direction with their career, start to have families that we just weren't going to be able to work with a pro. Um, a professional athlete schedule, right? When the WPS came back. But for me, I was like, no, I'm still young. This is what I want to do. And I really am thankful for, I mean, honestly, so many things just aligned for me that I'm, it wasn't like it was just like a, yes, like we think of success as being the straight, straight incline, right? And we just reach it. But so many things did align. And so many people were supportive in my career that with the Washington Freedom, they kept a, a semi-pro team together, so we had like a real professional league, or, or sorry, team to train in at least. And then in the summers, we'd play in the W League. So really, that allowed me to stay fit, to stay competitive, develop my game, and then um, and then really like easily go into the WPS. So.
0: You, you were a part of some really dominant squads. I mean, you came in in 2005, you ended in 2013 with the U.S. Women's National Team. Can you talk about the culture when you first came into the locker room in 2005 and then the culture, you know, leaving the, the locker room in 2013? How did it – how was it for you? How did you fit in? And then how did you see it change? Well, I think in
2: 2005 you – you actually i would go back to 2014 2004 because i was in residency then and that was really pivotal because you still had julie fatty you had mia ham you had christine you had uh, these players like brandy right that like
0: Di-cons. that
2: i mean thing. yeah the pioneers that were like doing the thing and i like we uh, you talk about history you got to know who's come before you right because those this, that is why we have the platform we have today it's why the team is able to again continue the fight because we still have a long ways to go but those players just the foresight into understanding like when to use their voices when to um make it um not just about what's on the field right is was so important to where we are today so culturally i wouldn't say there is much difference because that team is like listen every day is a dog fight you're going after it you are competitive it is eye-opening for people who have not been in that experience to. This- come and witness it and like if you can go to an open training ever it is something that you have never seen before and it is why why it is so difficult to go from our current league, the nwsl to that environment right and so uh, this is a side note i'm probably going off on a long tangent but there's a lot of times that people are like oh yeah you're doing so well in our league you should be making the national team and it's like until you understand that environment and what has been built over several, several decades, it's, it's hard to kind of make that argument because it is, it is such a different thing, but culturally hasn't, hasn't changed. I just think what you're seeing is rightfully so more players being able to make a living in a different way than we have before. You're seeing players feel more empowered collectively to speak out about issues, um, to feel powered individually, to, um to speak out because there's more resources being put in and not just within soccer right you're seeing that through sponsorship so that alone is just aiding in the fact that like yes let's continue to make the push in um society wise right to make an impact
1: mm-hmm. and 2011, you were a part of the World Cup team that participated in that World Cup in Germany. You mentioned the aftermath of some of the things that happened after that. But uh, I would assume I could say that you got to complete one of your childhood dreams as going on the field and representing your country in a World Cup, right? And I just want to know, you described that the, those are two different things, right? Playing in the in the, the leagues in America, but playing in a World Cup, what was that feeling like? What did it feel like to, to compete in that game that you got to play in?
2: Well, I mean, listen, it's like hard to put into words because you put in all of these you put in like so many hours behind the scenes, right? Like both of you would know this, the amount of time we spent, the the singular focus that we've had on soccer for so long is like, I don't think many people can fathom like what that looks like. And, um, but to like, I, I love the story of the 2011 world cup. Cause for me that changed the course of women's soccer forever because prior to that, the 2011 World Cup, we played at Red Bull Arena in our send-off match in front against Mexico in front of about 5,000 fans. And up until that point, um, you know, dating back from to the 91 World Cup, it, we had gone through so many peaks and valleys. Like right before the World Cup or right before the Olympics, everyone would get engaged and be so excited about the team, and then you have like two or three years of like down period or a lull, right, where no not much coverage was happening, and then it rent back up, and so it was just like this ebbs and flows, and leading into the World Cup, again, 5,000 fans, no one really knew we were going over there and then it was like a perfect storm because it was like baseball was on strike the nba finals had just ended then Abby scored in this 120 minutes like header right like to beat brazil to go into overtime and then it, or excuse me in overtime then to beat them in penalty kicks i mean it was and then it was like this boom that was like heard around the world and It was and like what <laughs> and like it was so dramatic and like typical us women's national team fashion that like from that point on, and I'm going to be off a little bit on these stats, but I don't think we played in fewer than fifteen 000, in front of fewer than fifteen thousand fans, and it is like electrified um, the game, and it is given again people just uh, opportunity to speak out, to put pressure on other federations to support their women's team. I mean, social media is aided in that, right? But like that was like the catalyst to like take off and to separate what it was like. So anyway, Germany put on a a small country everyone we bust everywhere I think we flew once unbelievable tournament 65,000 fans for the final against Japan I mean it was like their Germany the women's team went out I think in the quarterfinals if I remember correctly sooner than they had expected um and it was like the country was still like so into it and I remember it was brilliant. It was. It, it is like something you can't describe because it's like the singular focus and it's the top of our
0: our sport. Well, you your team was on fire. You had an amazing career. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And you've made a, a seamless transition post career, which you're crushing it in the media, TV broadcast. <laughs> Keep it going. But now, since we spoke about this this fire of a team, let's 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 hop over. Take you over to the hot seat. Okay, we're okay. gonna ask you some rapid fire questions. Oh, love it! And you just you just hammer them uh, away. Okay. I mean, I love it now before the question starts. We'll yeah, see what exactly. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. All right, all right we're gonna good. give you some softballs. All right, here we go. All right. What's your favorite thing to cook?
2: Oh goodness gracious. Um, well, I've been diving into some. To, this is more baking as I've cooked, but during the pandemic, a lot like everybody else, started a sourdough starter because I was home longer than I ever have been in like <laughs> straight days. So, started a sourdough starter. And my bread baking is pretty, to be honest, like I just is not coming together. But you can make these sourdough pancakes. And let me tell you, those
0: are oh. lights out. So, okay. oh.
1: yeah. I thought you were going to call it Lori's loafs. Yeah, next time I'm in
0: Philly, (laughs) I I need some sourdough pancakes. Done. I got you. All
1: right. What's your go-to coffee spot?
0: Uh, There's a place here in Philly
2: that I love um, called Function Coffee. Fantastic. I think
1: Really great
0: coffee. Who is the funniest teammate you've had? Oh, let's see.
2: Um, Listen, Megan and I were constant roommates. We were bus mates, seat mates, and... God, we had so many inside jokes, and so I'm gonna have to go with Meg. Okay.
1: If you didn't, if you didn't say her, she'd be like,
2: "Lori." Yeah. Exactly. But you know, I would joke <laughs> with her because, like, a lot of people thought she was funny. But I'm like, because I would whisper to her jokes, and then she would say it out loud. I'm like, "You're stealing my jokes." Everyone thinks yep. you're. Yeah, I know. I know. I know but... a couple of those guys. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh! Uh, what's your favorite book?
2: Ooh, goodness. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I actually have a favorite book right now, but I am reading or just started. Let me hold on one second, this book. So if people are I am just started it and really excited about it. It's called Radical Dharma. So you can see it. And it's talking race, love, and liberation by Reverend Reverend Angel Coyota Williams. Sorry. Angel Coyota Williams. Let me get that right.
0: I love so the I'm really that you the book. So, yeah, right there, people, so people obviously can't see that who are listening, but she went out of the way to go <laughs> grab that book and show it.
1: Charlie, that's two things. She showed us her coffee like it was an ad and the book mm-hmm. like it was an ad too. <laughs> Lori's clearly an influencer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Listen, these will be in the show notes, everybody.
0: A, yeah. <laughs> favorite
2: favorite boot you've worn? Ooh, total 90s. Total 90s. Where you like they the first up. one? the kangaroo total leather. 90s well the ones that were really like okay ctrs first of all ctrs or the total 90s that were not the kangaroo leather, leather because those were a little bit heavier and i'm a big uh-huh. sweater so they would yep. get too heavy for me but the ones that like ha- barely had the little tongue that kind of flapped over yep. but and laced oh, yeah. up on the sides. Yeah. yeah i think that was the, first the
1: fake tongue yeah yeah those are yeah one, fake oh uh, my favorite though those are yeah. good boots mm-hmm. best place you've traveled to
0: soccer wise just give me give me Uh, i i I, brazil brazil okay Mm -hmm. oh i i haven't been to brazil and i want to go what's something everyone else loves that you secretly find overrated
2: god these are hard i shouldn't have been excited everyone (laughs) loves that i find overrated I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm stumped. This is the second time. Listen, I'm gonna need to get back. We're gonna have to film like a okay, lot of second
1: parts. I feel like we're accomplishing something because, like, you're you've been speechless twice. Yeah, we're I know. good.
2: We're Goodness, good. Joining. This is yeah. good. Actually, I I, I actually want to take back. Uh, so I don't take back Brazil, but one of the best places. And today, actually, I'm speaking to you. Marks our third anniversary. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with the Equal Playing Field Initiative. And we played in the highest, which ended up being a Guinness Book of World Record, to play in the highest elevation women's soccer match, all for women's equality. And today is the day that we hit the summit. And it was the worst talk you've ever seen. But um, Mount Kilimanjaro was amazing. So Brazil and Mount Kilimanjaro.
1: Yes. Um, run to a magical place. Speaking of that, let's just, <laughs> I'm going to throw one in here. How hard was it to breathe there?
2: You know, the, the trek, we took the longest trek up, so it was like, nine day total seven days up two days down um honestly not terrible until like the last two days and the last day was we started off like at three and we woke up at three in the morning to so the summit's at 19,300 feet we played at the crater 18,500 and that last like four hours of hiking that morning to get to the crater you felt like you had like a two hundred pound man on your back. It was like freezing cold, and so it wasn't terrible. I mean, yes, playing was terrible. Like I 18, stood in the middle laughing.
1: feet above Yeah. Oh, level. I stood
2: in the I stood in the middle laughing the whole time. It was zero zero. I mean, it was like the worst soccer, but it was amazing. And uh, it was worse it was like beach soccer at high elevation. So you can imagine. Um. So not terrible until those that last like day and a half, and then I felt super pukey and like was like the last eight hundred meters. I was like like losing it a little bit. If
0: you could be any fictional character, who would it be? Fictional character.
2: Goodness. What, what are we doing here? Um, I might be stumped on this one too. Fictional character.
1: Wow. We, yeah, I don't
2: know. You are good. Okay.
1: How about this one? Beach or mountains? Ah,
2: (laughs) Listen, this is depends on your mood, right? It depends on the year, time no. of year, it depends on your mood. <laughs> you got, so you I got right one now, day, you got one, right day to now.
0: Live. I'm going 1 day to live. Beach. <laughs> okay, and we're going to finish it out with what's your spirit animal?
2: You know, I don't really have one. I don't have one. Listen, I don't have a spirit animal and I'm not going to get into why. Well, animal. I'm not going to get into why about that. Okay. But <laughs> I, cause there's a whole other thing about that. But in terms of an animal that I do freaking love zebras. Okay. I actually felt
1: I like you were going to say zebras. Did you, are you, yeah. Are we on the same wavelength?
2: Yeah, people. We mean? are we are Jordan you and i typically are in a lot of ways so
1: yeah mm. um lori i think that was the funniest hot seat that we've had yet so thank by you far. for that
0: by far <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah when we tweet when we tweet this out you're just going to give you're not going to do anything but retweet it and put your fictional character on the retweet yep. so Okay. Deal. We're shaking on it right here. Um, Lori Lindsay, uh, thank you for coming on here and sharing so much with us. We've really uh, learned a lot and felt like uh, this was a really fun hour. Yeah.
2: You're, thank you're you. awesome. Thank you. I love the work that you're doing on this podcast. Um, thank you. You two are awesome. So lots of fun. Thanks for having me on.
1: Charlie, I'm cracking up still because Lori is so funny, even when she's not even trying to be. That was the funniest hot seat I think we've ever had.
0: Easily, easily, and, and now she's going to be thinking this whole time, <laughs> what, what is my my preference, and what what do I find overrated? You know, it, right. I I think it's hilarious, and what I really loved about the conversation was uh, her having a, a, a conversation with me and him, and you know, being a young one of the young, younger kids who, who are playing and, and needing some inspiration and you're getting it from not only one of the veterans, but from Mia Ham telling you, you know, keep playing this way, keep going, giving her their encouragement needed to continue to progress through the downtimes, right? We're not always going to be at your best and sometimes you need someone to pick you up and who better to pick you up than Mia Ham. So I thought that yeah, was right. really interesting.
1: I I really got chills when she was saying that because I can imagine how impactful that was to her in those moments. I, Of course, I think there was so much good content and context to the conversation around pride and uh, equality at the beginning. And I really thank Lori for just having that conversation with us first and foremost. But I think one of the things i've always admired about lori is her ability to persevere through the longevity of her career and she is it wasn't always that player and she joked about it right she joked about having the most caps on the bench and because that's who she is she she, she will joke about those things but really i think it's hard to have, talk about a team when you don't talk about every single player. And she played such an important role in the women's national team for a number of years. And I just am glad we got to talk with her because that should never be overlooked.
0: No, not at all. And she's just a wonderful person. Um, and she's, she's a boss in, in the, <laughs> on the in broadcast booth. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing her grow and progress as well in that space.
1: One of the things I do want to mention is Lori had this great conversation with Tierna Davidson, current member of the U S women's national team, and that is on us soccer channels. Uh, you can find that link on ussoccer.com. So make sure you guys go check that out because like Lori said, it was such a interesting conversation and something that you're not going to want to miss.
0: I think we, we also are really excited about next week's guest, my dear friend, um, Robbie Rogers, uh, former US men's national team player, also played in Holland for Heronveen, where some of you may know Michael Bradley also uh played there. Columbus Crew and MLS Leeds United. Um, also the LA Galaxy won the MLS Cup with Columbus Crew and LA Galaxy. Yeah. This guy has it all and is currently a producer in Hollywood. Okay. This this is called the wow. ultimate transition from playing career to post playing career.
1: Yeah, we just st- we just stayed in sports and he's like i'm going to hollywood
0: yeah I'm, I'm gonna go make some movies and, and shows and and write and sc- yeah. th- it's just he's just so talented plus he's he's got style for days i cannot wait to have this conversation um and please remember to subscribe to this podcast download it then rate and review we really appreciate you guys taking the time to rate and review this podcast we love having you come to listen um thank you again off to next week with me just looking off into the sunset. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: See ya.